Welcome back to the Four Pillars of Life podcast. I am your host, Bobby Bazrad. On this week's episode, I have a very special guest. Please help me welcome motivational speaker, international traveler, and author of the book, The Curveball, Colby Sharma. Bobby, thank you so much. It's great to be here be with all your listeners. Yeah, thank you. And I'm so excited to dive deep into this conversation with you. And my first question is, for those who don't know, could you just explain what your latest book, The Curveball, is about? Sure. So the book is an inspirational tale about how a struggling individual turns adversity into opportunity and fear into fuel to live a better life and become happier. And so much of us right now, when we're faced with this pandemic, are wondering the same things. I've had this curveball happen to me. It's an unexpected path. How can I become better and find the silver lining and turn it into a positive outcome? Awesome. Yeah. It's a great book for whoever hasn't read it. I read it. It took me two days. That's how good it was. (laughs) That's amazing. You have a section in your book where Coach Teller describes ego. In your own Mm -hmm. words, what's your definition of the word ego? Ego is a manifestation of a mask that we wear within us that comes up as a shield to prevent inner reflection. It wants us to stay in outer perfection. Everything is perfect. Don't look into the crevices. Stay shallow and surface level. So that's how I would define ego. Wow. That's a really great definition. Thank you. In my opinion, when someone writes a book, especially a fiction one like yourself, it takes Mm -hmm. such a creative mind to do so. Can you describe to me the writing process and the inspiration of how you came up with the story? So the writing process was very hard, very, very hard because... You know, I was faced with imposter syndrome. You know, I was 21 years old and I was putting pen to paper on my first book. And I wanted to share a tale that talks about my challenges that I've gone through, like how so many people are going through right now. And I want to appeal authentic and real and have something they can anchor in these times of need. But my challenges were removed. So I had to go into the past in my mind, what that was like. But I wanted to do something that was authentic and truthful to myself and and my journey. And that encapsulated my love of sports, baseball. I used to play baseball and life lessons and self-help, self-help. Yeah, no, I totally got that when I was reading your book. I loved how authentic and personal it was. It was less about facts and more about personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's why I resonated resonated with it so much. Totally. I mean, you know, one of my my challenge was I had a learning disability as a teenager and I wanted to really be truthful to that experience in the book where he's getting bullied and he's on the bench and, you know, the um, cooler kids, for lack of a better word, are picking on him. They're being mean to him. And that is our experience, though. That is the human experience to grow amidst adversity, to have those times, you know, in, in the valleys of life, to use the quote, and not only at the peaks. So I wanted to use that experience because so many of us in this pandemic that have that has ripped at the social fabric of life, you know, if someone has learning challenges, they can't do X, Y, and Z. You know, support systems are non-existent or threadbare. So that is the human experience, especially in this moment of the pandemic. 
Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And in your book, you talk about choosing your responses in life. When you're pressed with adversity or you're going through a situation that is causing you a lot of stress and worry, but that certain situation is simply out of your control. How do you handle those moments? How do you take in those experiences? You handle them by saying, I'm not going to, I'm going to choose not to handle everything. I'm going to choose to only play in, in my wheelhouse. You know, if you look at, if you look at the baseball diamond, there's three bases and home plates. So we have to go through all the separate bases to hit home. So if we look at, you know, going back to Viktor Frankl, there's between the stimulus and the response, therein lies our freedom. So we can choose to step back, be reflective, go through it one base at a time, and switch off this reactivity, you know, switch in our brains a lot of the time. So many times when we're faced with challenges and adversities, it's, I just want to get it off my back as soon as possible. I want to be free of the challenge because it's causing me pain. But lean into that, though. Lean into that. Be cognizant of going through the bases and knowing that we can't choose every single emotion. We can't choose to be happy and sad, scarcity, and yet have abundance, joy, but yet feel sorrow. So it's going through that emotional process, that physiological process of saying, it's okay, I'm going to be okay surrendering these emotions into the ether and just playing with what I know how to play with. Yeah, no, that, that, that's such an amazing answer. And I love how you said, well, what I got the gist of it is like, we need to sit with ourselves and question our emotions and understand that sometimes we're going to be sad. Sometimes we're going to be happy. Sometimes we're going to feel negative and that's okay. Totally. And, you know, th- that stems from the first lesson in the book, which is adversity loves your ego. It, it loves the part of you that refuses to do the inner work, to re- refuses to do the deep searching, to be in control of your emotions. It really wants you to, to not be in control of your emotions, to not have a strategy with how to approach things. And that's going to be the key difference if we go into the new world beyond the pandemic. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And that's one of my favorite lines in your book, adversity loves your ego. When I first started writing my book, I created a routine where every morning I'd write for one hour. And during this hour, sometimes I wrote such amazing work. Other times I simply wrote out ideas just to get them out of my mind so new ones could take place. All in all, this was my writing process. And the reason why I bring this up is because I'm curious to hear what was your writing process like when you wrote the curveball? It was cathartic at times. It was cathartic because you're bringing, you know, your your journeys and and your challenges and your highs and your lows onto paper for the whole world to see, you know, to love, to um, to so many emotions. So I first started to write because I was around writing. You know, my father and my household has so many books in it. We had so many conversations, but I've always been drawn to the creative side. So. I first started to write the book summer 2016 when I uh, came up my first summer of, of law school and I just wrote every single day. You know, I was in such great, great environments that I just started to write. I just started to write and just see where the process would go. But, you know, to go back to Margaret Atwood, 
fail. I failed better each and every single paragraph, each and every draft. And it took about five and a half years to reach publication because I went to school and I worked in industry and, you know, so many experiences in interviewing the years. Yeah, that's amazing. I believe every author has their own journey. How did you go from law graduate to published author? I didn't like the industry I was in. I didn't like the work environment. I didn't like uh, the work experiences. You know, I one boss, I brought in a client and she deemed it not good enough. I said, you know, we're going to have a real problem here. But, you know, it was just tapping into my real self. You know, if we, if we look at the Japanese proverb of the three selves, the first self we showed to the world, second we showed our friends and family, third self we have trapped in a box because we're too afraid to show the contents of that box. And I've always been creative. I've always been artistic. So when I started, first started to write and then I shoved it away, I'm like, hold on one second. Let me bring it out and really show the world what my potential is. I watched a recent interview to add on to that. And you were talking a lot about purpose and passion. Now, this is a two-part question. The first one is, what's your definition of the word purpose? And second, knowing how important purpose, passion, dreams truly are, why do you think some people still don't live with theirs? Well, how I would define purpose is something that really sets your soul alight. Something that you have no other not get out of bed in the morning. That's how I would define purpose. If someone is living a purposeful existence, choosing to not you know, exercise them and exercise the agency to bring them to light is I think that I think they're trapped with imposter syndrome. You know, the sense that just because they're in the stage of life, just be in the status quo. I should just pursue the status quo things. And I felt that as well. I felt, hmm, what am I doing? I'm a first year law student, 21 years old. You know, what am I doing writing this book? But then I just let that go. I said, you know, I have a story that I can share. You know, my youth can go blood sword, but I'm going to make it count and I'm going to make it stand for something that people coming up today can really take something from my story and see this guy as authenticity. I say the second thing is that they, they don't know their purpose. They don't know their purpose and what they truly want to do. We go through so many things in their 20s and in our journeys, but we can't fix on one thing that really brings us joy. For me, it's writing and doing what I'm doing now. How would you advise somebody to find their purpose? All the things that people said, you know, you aren't good at and you aren't going to do. And you can't be successful at it. That is a calling card to show you this is where your purpose could lie. You know, I had so many people say, you know, you're not going to go to law school. You're not going to be, um, you're not going to be a, a writer. You're not going to be all these kinds of things. But you know, if I'd listened to someone that said in grade nine, you know, you failed your grade ten grammar exam. You don't really have what it takes to do X, Y, and Z. But little did I know that contained the seeds of my purpose. And that contains the seeds to accentuate what I'm trying to do and bring to the world. Yeah. And looking back at it now, all those, all those things people said you couldn't do, 
you're living in reality where you did all of them so far. And that's such a great accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah. As a writer and speaker now, what does a typical day look like for you? It's finding speeches. It's finding them by, by cold calling, cold emailing, uh, using LinkedIn, LinkedIn video. Uh, if you have a support network like, like publicists, they also help as well. Um, it's following up with e- emails for future speeches. It's knowing, you know, it's knowing what you want to say in your sales pitch or your, your speaking pitch. And then, you know, I'm writing my, my second book. So it's putting that time to use over there. Um, and it's just being on social media to engage with people, engage with influencers, people, fans. You brought up your second book. If you don't mind me asking, uh, can you talk about a little bit of that? What is going to be about? The working title is probably going to be called The Underdog because we all have an underdog within us. It's going to be a very different book to number one. It's going to be the stakes are higher. Um, it's going to be a new challenge. It's going to be a new curveball. It's going to be a whole new cast of characters because he, he, he begins complacency. He's retired. You know, he has this perfect beginning, but something's going to happen. That's going to really rock him for a ride. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to read that one. And to go back before the interview, we were talking about traveling. I just want to know what are some places that you have traveled to so far? Uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I really fell in love with it. the food and the people. Um, I love London. You know, I have a lot of family, a lot of friends in London. And I love the energy in that city. I love how it's half old school, half new, and it retains a lot of its culture. I, I love Italy. I just came back from Italy on Sunday and I love the culture. I love the beauty. I love the food, love the people. Do you think traveling to all these different places, going to different cities and countries helps you gain a deeper perspective on life? Yeah. Seeing places where so many exciting things happen. You go to Rome, you see the Colosseum where the gladiators fought, where they really put the country and the empire on their backs uh, you go to London, you see the same thing. You go to Parliament Square where you see the Churchill statue. Uh, you go to these countries and it's so good for you. You know, I got a lot of inspiration on this trip. And you're just, you're just in an amazing experiences that you, you can't really get anywhere else. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think many people can be shaped and defined by who they are because of their upbringings, conditions and environments. What was your upbringing like and how did it shape you into the person you are today? My upbringing was amazing. You know, I had a a father that really cared a lot about intellectual pursuits, taking me to great art galleries, exposing me to traveling, um, high level conversations at a very young, young age. And I'm very privileged and grateful to have him as a role model and just guiding me not only as a writer, but as, as a human. Um, so much books and writing. And uh, I really just gained a formative understanding of you know, what it really takes to not only produce work that people fall in love with and really can take something from, but someone that really is trying to, to bring impact in whatever way they can to the world in a time where so many people can take something from that. 
Yeah, no, it sounds like you had an amazing upbringing and it kind of shaped you into who you are today as a writer. A lot of it was just organic. You know, I mean, my dad, he didn't say, you know, here's this pro pro forma book, this template. He even said, you know, don't practice law. But if you want to go to law school, go to law school. If you want to write the book, write the book if it means a lot to you. And I think that's important. You know, so many of us in a, and I think we can both relate to this from the Indian standpoint, like because our grandfathers did this or because our fathers did this, we have to do this. No, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Yeah. And I think we can have our own independent agency to make these choices. But if we want to do it, you know, and I looked up to that and, you know, I talked to my father quite regularly, like what to do, what not to do on speaking, what not to do on books and writing. And I'm very, very, very grateful to, uh, to have that. No, that's an amazing scale. I think every, every parent should have, let your kids do what they love and let them make their own mistakes. Don't force them to do something that they're not passionate about because then they're going to live with regret. Well, Kobe, those are all the main questions I had for you. Thank you for answering them. And we're at the part of the interview now where I ask my final five questions. You could answer them in one word, a sentence, or you could spend five to 10 minutes answering each question. It's totally up to you. All right. Awesome. First question for a writer that is just starting out, what's one piece of advice that you could offer them? Not know what you're doing because I will lead you to what you are supposed to be doing. Fail have a support system. I had a beta reader group of about seven people that I, I gave the manuscript to that. And these are people that I trusted. So have a support system and seek them out because it's going to bring your best work. Yeah. Amazing answer. What are three books that have impacted you the most? Antoine saint du Exupéry, uh, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, about making and marketing of work that lasts. And finally, a book I loved on my trip, The Alchemist. It's an OG book, but it's a book that such a spellbinding and, and gripping story. No, it's, that's one of my favorite books, too. It's such a creative and inspirational story. If there's somebody who hasn't read your book just yet, what's one main lesson that you could provide to them from your book? When the game gets tough, that's when the tough return to ritual. You know, so many people say, what is a ritual versus a habit? Well, I'd say a habit really gets you from point A to point B. But a ritual is a deeper ingrained sets of practices that bring out your higher performance self and lead you to really knock it out of the park. And a ritual is something that doesn't need to be grandiose. It can be something very small. One piece of advice I'd say is maybe start a Facebook group because that's a ritual. It brings people together around a common vision. If you look at the native Indians, the indigenous people, those are ritualized practices. They all became better they all became happier and it brought them all a great sense of spirits and hope. Yeah. That's a great answer. I love my routines, whether it's getting up early, reading, working out or going for a walk. If any, what are some routines that you do on a day-to-day basis? I like to have a morning cup of coffee on my balcony and I just sit outside and I just think, I just think, and then I journal and then I might just write or do something else, work out. Awesome. Final question. What does legacy mean to you? 
bring my best self to the world, you know, doing whatever it takes to bring the world a little bit back together and to find the way to have even the slightest bit of impact. Awesome. Well, again, Kobe, thank you so much for being here. It was truly an honor. And if there's anything that I missed or if there's anything that you wanted to say, please feel free to do so. I'd love to say where people can find the book. So people can find the book on Amazon. It's in ebook form, paperback and audiobook. Um, if people want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is Colby Sharma Official. My Facebook is the Curveball 426. You can sign up for my Curveball Book Club group for my second book where I share excerpts from the book. Um, I'm, available, I'm available for private coaching through my scouting report program where for 30 days, I work with you one hour every single day of the week. It's a very high value program so you can get the best out of 2022. Finally, my speaking, I'm available to speak to companies and individuals on how to overcome curveballs and challenges in the workplace so you can become better. That's amazing, man. And again, thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And please don't forget to check out Kobe's latest book, The Curveball. Hey, came in the game getting money. Flip chicks, whip, get money.